everybody, and uh, welcome back to another exciting episode of Hooked on Hitchcock. I'm your host, Jonathan Moody, and I've got my awesome, awesome co-host here. How you doing? G. Larry Butler. Hello, hello, hello. I'm just <laughs> thanks. Yeah. What was that? And yourself, sir. I am doing fantastic. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, the Hitchcock uh, kind of movie that that was not a big hit at the time in fact it did not do very well in the box office uh and it was uh one of his like lesser known uh projects we're gonna be talking about stage fright and um i was talking to larry uh earlier and uh, he said he had some questions and he said it was very twisty and turny and uh and i wanted to make sure to mention in the beginning of this uh, the biggest regret that uh, Hitchcock had was the was the idea of doing the false uh, false flashback scenes. Um, his biggest regret with that was that he he felt like it cheated the audience and it wasn't fair, you know. And um, nowadays, stuff like this is like you know kind of expected. You know, we want things to be like twisty and turny and, you know, like shock us at the end. But at that particular time period, I don't think um, uh, Hitchcock's uh, fans really wanted something like this. What do you think, Larry? I, you know, I was so confused. I, you know, everything was okay, except for the first part and the last part. (laughs) Right. I was like, what? And then I watched it again, and I was very busy this week. I didn't get a chance to watch it the whole thing again the third time, but I watched the beginning and the end. And it's like the first thing, like you said, was like false testimony, right? The guy mm-hmm. was lying to her. He actually, well, these are all spoilers, folks. But Yeah, yeah. if you haven't seen the movie, please go watch it. It's actually available on HBO Max. I rented it on Amazon, not knowing it was on HBO Max. And got really upset because I spent three dollars when I didn't need to. Well, let me give you a tip, Jonathan, and everybody at home. If you go to uh, greatfreemovies.com, it's absolutely free, commercial free too. I I don't know. That sounds that's that. uh, I don't know. Every time I watch it, I went to Great Free Movies. Yeah, quite a bit when you Google. You know, you want to see this for free so you know it, it absolutely works but anyway it, it opens with her uh well maybe we should introduce the cast and everything before we start. yes casting characters um so it th- stars uh well jane wyman is Eve. she was the first wife of uh, ronald reagan by the way oh wow i didn't know that i met nancy she's a cute little thing she is she's sort of the stereotypical character like or a kind of actor that hitchcock would pick you know no, so even she believes this guy's kind of loves him and uh, of course he's a pathological liar we find out but uh, she's a struggling actor who kind of falls in love with this guy and then marlena dietrich of course is a showstopper and she's her sultry self and she sings a lot of songs she's a you know a stage uh, diva and uh she's every bit the diva you th- thought she was in real life too very yeah she was in uh touch of evil um so she's worked with the masters she's got it more than the touch but then there's um richard todd plays jonathan cooper who's the uh what we think is the innocent person throughout the whole movie usually they're the guilty person turns out to be innocent but it's the opposite in this one right so i actually like that that sort of twist of the idea that like typically hitchcock and we've seen this in many of the hooked on hitchcock episodes that we've done is that hitchcock generally has the wrong man yeah. and this was sort of not the wrong man really he was the right man you know but we the whole time we're thinking he's the wrong man but and just- what Right at, at first, about her coming to his door, Marlena Dietrich plays somebody named Charlotte. So we're just talking about Charlotte. 
she comes in the door with a bloody dress and says, I didn't mean to kill him. We got in a fight and I hit him with a poker. But this is all a lie. We're seeing him tell a lie. And that's what threw me off. I thought it really happened. Well, that's she, what everybody did. That's what, once again, Hitchcock didn't like doing at the end. He kind of regretted doing that because it sure. wasn't fair to the audience and obviously wasn't fair to you, Larry. You know, me, I kind of liked it. You know, it's kind of cool. It's okay, but it was a, a little disturbing. I wasn't disgruntled. I was just confused. And I thought, did I miss something? Because I had problems with my computer and the voice wasn't coming through and you know, accents were thick and uh, the Cockney, Cockney accents, especially. I couldn't understand a word they said. That's why I liked Amazon. They had subtitles. Oh, that's right. Well, you see, I didn't pay, but then I didn't get the subtitles. You're so, right. <laughs> so that that's why I had to keep watching it. Um, so and then there was a really stirring performances by Michael Wilding, who played Detective Smith, All-Star, All-Star Sim played uh, Eve's father, and Pat Hitchcock, I could not find her, played Chubby. Now, did you see a Chubby in this movie? I don't remember her at all. Um, I, I, like somebody named Chubby, I don't remember that, but there was some kind of, uh, in the, uh, like, um, what is it, the trivia? It yeah. talks about how um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock gave his daughter Patricia Hitchcock's character the decidedly unflattering name of Chubby Bannister. In wow. addition to the joke, the name was a term of endearment, according to Hitchcock. Alfred said that he liked calling Patricia Chubby Bannister because uh, she was a girl you could always lean on. God. Chubby Bannister. Oh, yeah, Bannister, right? Chubby yeah. Bannister. All off the edge. Yep. Did you, uh, by the way, did you see his cameo? I did, but it wasn't one of his best. It was funny, though. I liked it. I thought it was, it was like the girl was talking to herself and he just kind of gave a double take at her when she was talking to herself. I thought that was funny. But I, I was so impressed with her cockney, you know, because she's an American, with American, you know, real accent. And then mm. to do that, it's one of the hardest accents to do. Um, well, there you go. She probably had a, uh, I mean, you're, you're saying Jane Wyman, right? Jane Wyman. Yeah. Yeah. Just, so she was probably had a, uh, a, a dialect coach. Yeah, I'm sure she did. Wasn't she up for an Academy Award for this? She got nominated, I think. Didn't she? Did she? Something. I, I thought I read that. But anyway, she deserves one if she didn't get one. Um, so she plays a struggling actress who, who proves, is, wants to prove the innocence of her beloved. You know, and he's accused of murdering uh, this other woman's husband. So he's two-timing his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. He's like, how gullible can you get? You know, but that's love for you. So, so okay. So, I, I like, when I'm watching, when I first watched, I mean, I only watched it once, and I watched it earlier today. And, um... And I'm not going to say, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Um, I was laying down in bed and probably not the best time to ever watch like, you know, black and white movies because if you're laying in bed, you start getting sleepy period, you know? Yeah. But uh, so I got a little sleepy. I took, I, I, I made sure to pause it when I knew I was getting sleepy. So I took a little bit of a nap, came back, finished the rest, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I was watching it. And um, uh, so the boyfriend Jonathan or whatever I don't think he's a boyfriend um, guy that she liked uh, and he kind of like uses her in a way you know like he's uh, trying to get her to help him get away from this murder and um, and then uh, like I guess he planted everything he planted the evidence like he made the bloody dress um he which he threw away later which i'm wondering why even if that was fake why would he throw it up like why would he put it in the fire it was an impulse because she was jealous you know he was jealous of charlotte well i'm, I'm just saying like when you look back at it right he he made that dress 
right? Like he put the fake blood on it. That's you know? why I started the whole movie because I I believe the false narrative. Yep. It's like if I'd known and I could it made sense of it. So nothing makes sense. Mm. Yeah, really hard. It was it was it, it was enjoyable, but uh, there were certain things like what? And then was, I could hear at the end because they were whispering. Could you hear their whispers? I could not. I'm no, lucky. but once again, uh, subtitles told you everything everybody said, even including the cops. Did you know that at the end, when the um, when they're at the stage and everything, and the um, and at the end where uh, I guess uh, John Jonathan got like got the the stage came crashing down on his head at the yeah. end. Uh, the cops were actually talking and you can't hear them at all. You know, this inaudible. But apparently the subtitles were telling you everything that the cops were saying, like, get, you know, get the photographer down here. You know, we need, you know, we need, oh, there's a mess over, you know what I mean? They were saying everything and it, it's subtitles. And I was like, God bless subtitles and supersonic hearing for some people, I guess, because I couldn't hear a goddamn thing that the people were saying. But I didn't notice till the third time, and I didn't watch the whole thing, just the front and the back, but I saw that somebody tripped. They pulled the lever down. It wasn't an accident. They yeah. get off by per on purpose. It was a stagehand. Because you see a picture of him coming through the door and then his hand going boom and pulling the lever down, and that's when it hit his head. I don't know if it yeah, I wonder if it took it off because I mean I guarantee they can't show that in that kind of PG-ish kind of movie, but like I wonder if it like you know like the whole stage thing just took his head off or something because apparently he died. I guess you know that's why they had to get the photographer there. Yeah. So anyway, I finally made a little sense, but I still wasn't privy to what you you told me about Hitchcock regretted doing it. And I thought, why would he do something like that? Right. And I, I think at the time, he thought probably that he just wanted to be one step of, you know, ahead of the audience. Because really, at that time, he had done so many of these um, wrong man type yeah. movies. Well, I bet he was getting sick of it. That you was know? his thing. His stick. I know. But I bet he was getting a little bit tired because everybody was like always... No, so maybe that's why people got tired of Hitchcock. You know, I don't know. I mean, people never got tired of him after that. This he still had huge, uh, you know, huge movies uh, hits. He changed. Uh, he started doing like The Birds and stuff like that. And, you know, right? It wasn't always the innocent guy. You know, trying the people trying to prove that he's guilty. Um. So he got away from that and did a lot of them like that. But then he probably got tired of it, too. Do you want to hear something cool? Yeah. So uh, this was during the transatlantic slash Warner years, right? So after the Paradine case, uh, Hitchcock formed a production company with Sidney Bernstein. They produced two films, uh, Hitchcock's first color film, Rope, and the uh, box office Disappointment under Capricorn. Two projects that started as transatlantic pictures were completely completed for Warner Brothers, which was Stage Fright and I Confess. We've, we've done I Confess as well already. Uh, the latter, I Confess, in particular, took a number of years and drafts to reach the screen. I Confess is the story of priests, who's wrongfully blah, blah, blah. Um, the original treatments, the priest is convicted and condemned, and only after he's hanged uh, does the real murderer confess. Hitchcock worked on this screenplay with Alma and a number of writers for years, more than a year into the process during the filming of Stage Fright. Victor Pierce wrote this letter to Sidney Bernstein describing the project and Hitchcock's state of mind at the time. And he just goes on about, um, uh, you know, was it Victor Pierce said that uh, we met last night with Hitch, uh, Leslie Storm, Peggy Singer, and myself. Before Leslie Storm's arrival, I sensed that Hitch wasn't too happy with the storyline, which is enclosed here. Um, I think they're talking about I Confess, actually. So, anyway, but he was, you know, this was 
sort of at the time they were doing like multiple pictures, you know, back to back and everything. And I mean, you can imagine how difficult it is just to get one of these scripts done. You know, just imagine how many, you know, how getting all of these different scripts, you know, including this one, which his wife uh, co-wrote, you know, Alma Reville co-wrote this. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I I liked it. Um, It was not what I expected. And I'm not here. Here's what I was I was hoping for. I was hoping that it was a murder mystery involving, uh, you know, behind the scenes of, a, of, of being on stage. Right. Because it is called stage fright. There really isn't that much of the stage being, you know, being used as the background. It's more everywhere else, you know. Right. But I mean, it's a double entendre. You know, because it's a frightful situation that happens on the stage. So that's where he gets at this, you know, it's a fright. They're, they're frightened of something that happened on the stage. But um, I love that. Who was your favorite character in the movie? You that's know? a good question. Um, I I sort of, I mean, I, I, I kind of like Jane Wyman's character. Like I liked um, Eve. Um, I oh. liked that she had to kind of go incognito as the frumpy um uh maid sort yeah. of thing you know character the maid so she she's very good with voices and this and that and so she puts on her mother's glasses and can't see herself she thinks the door is a mirror that was kind of a comic bit and then she rings a doorbell and tries to fool her mother that it's somebody else and her mother says what are you doing out there get in here and, you know that sort of thing but she um she does that to, to learn more about, uh, you know, the situation. She tries to go undercover and work for Charlotte to, to prove that she's guilty. Mm -hmm. uh, she wants to get more information from Charlotte. And I think she's like hoping Charlotte's going to say something incriminating that she can use against her to the cop. But like, you know, uh, Charlotte's you know, not saying anything like that, you know, of course she's not going to like, who's going to just tell the maid, you know, that she helped murder her husband or that she murdered her husband, especially when we find out later she didn't, you know, so the, the maid, the real maid, the one that, that sees uh, the person, you know, we used to think that the guy that was framed, but now the guy that really murdered the husband comes out and she starts screaming, the maid's in the house. And then, so then she wants money. She blackmails Eve and her father. And by the way, that favorite character is the Commodore, the Eve's father. Played yeah, you like them a lot. I, I have a feeling like he seems like the type of character you'd like. I kind of identify with him. He has a morbid sense of humor. You know, when the boyfriend's trying to hide in her house. Was that actor famous at all? The father? I think he well, was a little bit. Uh, Alistair it, Sim is his name. So Americans weren't too. Uh, oh, he was no. He is famous. He was uh, Ebenezer Scrooge in the Christmas yeah, Carol. Well, the Americans didn't know him very well, and uh, so this is when Hitchcock went back after 22 years in America to do another movie, right? Mm -hmm. so, an English movie. So anyway, he when the boyfriend's hiding in the house, he says, "If you want anything to read in bed, there's some murder mysteries in the room." You know, things like that, the drier English way, because he pretty much thought he was a murderer, and it seemed like he was right, actually. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I mean, the whole movie is full of twists and turns, and, you know, you think one thing, and it's actually another. And you know, I was very surprised at how calm the father was. Uh, I mean, harboring a criminal at that time. I know he said he was a smuggler. Uh, but you know, he because so she falls in love with this uh detective, right? I mean, she's mm -hmm. falling in love with him, she hasn't yet, so she's torn between these two men. But she has a uh, detective over, and uh, the parents uh bootleg booze, which is illegal in England at that time. So the father brings uh the uh bottle to the mother, he says, Oh, we don't see him very often, you know, which uh, they're kind of estranged, they're still married, but they don't sleep in the same house and then they're a little nervous because eve introduces her friend well he's a detective and it's like oh oh yes and they're trying to hide the bottle 
I kind of, you know, I, I, don't, I think it's available on Blu-ray. I kind of want to get it at some point. It is a movie, like, I'd watch again, you know? Well, and it's, it's it's got so many things. Like, you watched it twice, right? So you probably picked up on a lot more things than I did. You know, the third time, but just to find that. So I love the part where she's in the pub and she meets the housekeeper and she's getting some tips on how to play a housekeeper maid and, mm-hmm. and her by herself and two men try to pick up on her. this older guy right and she, she just tries to get away from him. she just can't stand him and then uh the detective gets a little friendly and she says well he says i'm sorry i uh, something about uh you probably get tired of strange men she says oh i love strange men oh that is i'm very fond of them <laughs> in other words make love to them but it was very yeah. the British wits, very dry. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was very that that shocked me a little bit. I, I've never heard somebody like say she was fond of strange men. Um, but like, yeah, that one guy comes over and is like, "Do you need any help?" And she's like, uh, "She's not like not from you, basically." <laughs> and, and then she, the guy, just keeps coming until the the cop comes over and is like, you know. You look, you you know, you yeah. look like you need some help. Comes to her aid. The other guy's way too old. No, he's very heavy. Well, uh, also the reason she was there was because of the cop. She wanted to 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 pump his, you know, information, pump him for information. Well, that somehow. overhearing conversation, it's the cop bar, you know, and, right? Well, she goes there on purpose to hear that information, so. Anyway, they kind of catch her at it, I think. So anyway, it's just full of, full of devilish little things like that. Um, Did you like the guy's name that she gave him? Uh, which one was that? Uh, the cop. Yeah. It was oh, ordinary, uh, ordinary Smith. Ordinary Smith. Because he said it's Wilfred, actually. But he says, I'm just an ordinary person. He says, oh, may I call you ordinary? <laughs> yeah. Which I thought that was cute. He, he likes that. He says, well, yeah, please do. So, yeah, he actually tells her to call him ordinary instead of Wilfred. The you know. to her mother is this is ordinary. <laughs> True real name. I, I, I thought it was kind of cool. Like, I like that. Kind of cute. Little vignettes are really comical. Um, so, it's just, I really enjoyed some of that um, a lot. Um, so, anyway, Detective Smith kind of. Uh, falls for her too and then he's very angry at the end because she fools him and i mean we got a ways to go before we get to that part i know but, but yeah it's a, they, they they plan to try to implicate charlotte in the murder by you know she's doing a performance at this carnival so she and his the, the, the father actually thinks of it he cuts his hand smears blood on a little doll's dress and then gives it to a boy scout or cub scout and says, go on up there and give it to that nice lady that's singing or talking. And she freaks out. And uh, they, they think she'll have a nervous breakdown and then, you know, confess. Well, she doesn't. But And then uh, she goes backstage with uh, Eve, who she thinks is her dresser at that time, right? She right. Dresser. So it's, it's one thing after another. And you're like trying to catch up on what? What just happened? You know, it's pretty interesting. Um, yep. Okay, so uh, I also, you know, what? Do you know what my favorite scene was? What? The uh, the doll scene. Yeah. Uh, the uh, with the bloody dress doll, you know. But I like the scene where the, you know he's shooting the um, the thing, and like each time somebody else is there and thinks they hit the hit the, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah, love that. At the fair. Yeah, it shows you a relative uh, you know, intimidation because at first you know, he he can't shoot uh, he can't shoot a barn door, and right. uh, even before that, the woman who tries to give him the shotgun tries to break it in half and can't do it. She doesn't pull the lever. You know, all shotguns have a little thing you move to the side to break it open. She can't mm-hmm. try to break it over her knee, and nothing happens. So she just gives him the gun. And then he uh, he starts shooting, but he can't shoot the ducks. So then he pretends to shoot the duck that this 
much bigger and more intimidating man shot. And he says, well, that's my duck. He says, I beg your pardon. He said, I'm sorry, sir. And then he goes to a smaller man who, and he does the same thing to him, but the smaller man is weaker. And so he allows intimidation to take place. So he claims the duck that he didn't shoot. This is his father. And he gets a So anyway, he gets a free doll out of it. And uh, it was for the orphans fund or whatever. So yeah, he didn't even have, he didn't even have four pounds to, to just buy the doll, you know, but because he gave 20 to the blackmailer, that's yeah. true. Actually, he gave nineteen, didn't he? I don't because he was. I I believe he was short a dollar or a pound or whatever. And the the girl said that to him, like you're short. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? Run back home and you know grab another, you know? And uh, she says that she'll like expect him later. Yeah, she said you got to pay me by tomorrow. Yeah, by tomorrow, the blackmailer. Um, that tell everything. So. Yeah. It's like she was uh, really, you know, rough cookie. I know she was. She was a little bitch. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. Um. Now that who was that? What was her name? Um. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I got that one. That was a chubby, was it? I don't think so. She wouldn't have. I don't think she was ever that thin. Maybe she was. Was that Hitchcock's daughter? I don't know. Oh, wait. Maybe so. No, I don't think it is because I think that was so. Remember, she had to like, she had to use a name, Dorothy or Dottie or something. Um, what was her, uh, uh, what was the name that she, uh, that Eve used? Um, I'm not sure. I don't have access to it. Uh, but the Nellie Good, I believe, was the, uh, was the girl? Oh, she was so smug, you know, because she was a big star witness. You know, she went to a nobody just cleaning houses to now I'm somebody, you know, and got real cocky about it. So, not a very likable character. Nope. Anyway, so she played a good foil to Eve's uh, naivete. Um, oh, God, there's just so much to talk about here. Um, I want to do it in order, but we're all over the place. So anyway, um, we're finding out that maybe there's something more to the story than Charlotte killing this guy and framing her boyfriend. So he might be more involved than we think. Um, so the detectives are chasing him all over town. He, he runs out the front door. He lets the detectives in right at the front of the movie and said come on in and then he runs out the door and so they're chasing him and one of them breaks the window and tries to to stop him but he takes off in the car mm-hmm. uh, and later on they they chase him all over the theater and uh he sure acts guilty you know why i was thinking why doesn't he just go to the cops and explain it to him you okay know, in a, every movie has got things if you just go and think can explain yourself, maybe they'll, you know, go easy on you. But no, they all, but of course, it makes an interesting story to have a, you know, somebody chase or run for their lives. Um, so, anyway, he sure is throughout the whole movie. He plays a good role. It's uh, Jonathan Cooper, um, is played by Richard Todd, who's the first husband of Liz Taylor, isn't it? I- Maybe, but hold on real quick though. I did find out that Nellie Good was the blackmailer. And um because uh there's that scene where you know he walks up and he uh the Commodore says, Miss Livingston, I presume. And she oh. says, That's not my name. He goes, No, 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 it's Nellie Good, isn't it? But what does the does a name matter after all? I could uh, I could think of lots and lots of much more appropriate names for you. Yeah, and yeah. she says, "You and I could uh, could think of a few for you too. Who are you? You know, right?" And um, the uh, the only line I see from Chubby Bannister was about rehearsals. Um, so I'm guessing she was part of the uh, um, uh, acting stuff because she talks about rehearsals, rehearsals. Oh. You know, if we want to be naughty or misbehave, something like that. 
Okay. So uh, I don't re I don't remember much of the theater stuff, honestly. Um, uh, because it was so small of a part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So. Uh. Yeah. So. Um. You're saying that that Richard. Um. Todd. Was maybe like the first. Uh, well, that was the name of her first husband, but I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, if that was the original. No, that wasn't him uh, because uh, she he was married to Catherine Stewart Crawford Grant. Um, not sure that is. She's not an actress or anything. And then he was also re uh, married to Virginia Mailer, which I'm wondering if he, she was related to Norman Mailer. That's what I'm thinking, but... Um, does not say um she was the uh okay i don't know she was uh nope so uh that's that's not the same i guess richard todd that uh, elizabeth taylor was married to um Think about um, um, Marlena Dietrich's uh, performance, uh, you know, on stage. Wasn't that amazing? You know, uh, Richard Burton was who. And oh, it's funny. Richard Burton and Mike Todd. Those are the two people she was. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor was married to. So maybe you just got the names, the two names mixed up. Richard Burton. For the eight. Yeah. Um, I love the performance of um, Marlena Dietrich. Uh, she sang The Laziest Gal in Town. Yeah, all. did you know that song? Maybe I shouldn't. I'm going to learn it. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I wouldn't. But don't think I couldn't. <laughs> I'm just too damn lazy. And it was kind of a sexual innuendo because I don't want to have sex with you. You know, I might let you kiss me, but that's as far as it gets. Nothing from the neck down. So, right. My Cole Porter. So I certainly want to, I play a lot of his songs already. And then uh, she sang La Vie and Rose by Edith Piaf. Edith Piaf was a French singer who was one of the greatest singers in the world at the time. Whenever they could sober her up, but uh, she drank a little too much. Um, but I, I just love Marlena Dietrich. I never really watched her perform before. Thank God she's a great singer. Um, Sexy too. So... Um... Uh, there was actually some bit about that that I read, um, about the laziest gal in town. Um, uh, so Diedrich's focused, uh, rendition of the Cole Porter song, uh, the laziest gal in town is the film's clearest tip off of the resolution of the plot. Hitchcock never, after all, merely inserts a song into a film without a uh, powerful structural reason. Uh, it's not that I shouldn't, it's not that I wouldn't, and you know that it's not that I couldn't. It's simply because I'm the laziest gal in town. She sings in a triumphant proclamation with multiple meanings. Our first thought about the lyrics is obvious, but later we realize they're also a pointed reference to what she did with Jonathan, exploiting his fanatical devotion to the extreme that he killed her husband. So meaning that like he, she could have killed her husband you know, or she would have killed her husband, but she's just too lazy, and she got she got him to do it instead. I didn't didn't get the tie in there, but that's that's a great one. Yeah, that, yeah, that's I didn't either until I read that. And I was like, oh fuck, <laughs> like I didn't realize it. So that's a I always love seeing that stuff because they like this book. Um, by the way, if you're if anyone's a Hitchcock fan. Um, there's a real great book by Donald Spado called The Art of Alfred Hitchcock. He's also done other um books about Alfred Hitchcock, like The Life of Alfred Hitchcock, the you know, the dark, dark side of Alfred Hitchcock, that kind of stuff. But the art of Alfred Hitchcock is my favorite because it talks more about the art, you know, of this stuff. So things like that that I would never would have picked up. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed uh, the movie, some parts of it. And then, but some, some, some critics are very severe. 
One said, what the film lacks in suspense, action, and complexity, <clears throat> well, it was complex, is made up for in comedy. I didn't really agree with it. But it does have I, a lot. It has comedy in it, but all of Hitchcock's films have comedy. Usually yeah. a dark, twisted comedy. I don't think that the comedy overshone the you know, suspense and the action. Right. I didn't agree with that totally. Um, but anyway, uh, there was a lot of uh, dramatic confrontations, to be sure. And the one near the end of the movie where Eve and uh, Charlotte mm -hmm. are together, and then Eve is pretending to, to blackmail her. Remember that? <clears throat> and Charlotte mm -hmm. says, well, I think we better go to the police. Or I better go to the police. And then Eve changes to American dialect and says, I think we should. She said, who are you? Are you one of them? Meaning the cops? And uh, so that was really a great scene. <clears throat> and she didn't want to totally admit her guilt, but she did offer her jewelry, which is worth about $10,000. And so <clears throat> uh, then, they, then they record them. They had secretly recorded them by microphone to blast all over the theater and somebody wrote it down. They didn't have a tape recorder, I guess, back then, but they uh, did uh, transcribe it into shorthand. So they had her dead to rights that she was uh, actually an accessory. She blames it on her husband or on her boyfriend. But then we're still thinking she's, she's the one who did it, right? She's the guilty one. But then the, the, the detectives think it's, it's the guy, Jonathan. And then, uh, then he starts running, you know, they, they have him have his arms and then he runs out the door and chases them all over the theater. And that's when they finally get him by the curtain. But they're like, what the hell is happening? First it's her, then it's him, then it's her. And uh, I didn't know what to think. So it's good in that respect. But uh, still, I, I feel a little tricked at the beginning. Yeah. Um Here's a couple other things that I found. So um, Stage Fright garnered uh, some adverse publicity upon its initial release due to the lying flashbacks seen near the beginning of the film. However, some film critics, including those of Kahir's The Cinema, uh, see the flashback as simply being an illustration of one person's version of the events. The events as recounted by the character whose voiceover we hear which was presumably Hitchcock's intention. Hitchcock realized that the scene might be misinterpreted after seeing the film edited together, but it was too late to change. He later he would later maintain it was one of his greatest mistakes. Alternatively, modern filmmaker and Hitchcock devotee uh, Richard Franklin described it as almost cutting-edge mystery filmmaking. Okay. So, uh, the other thing I found out, this is, this is interesting. I think you'll like this. Um, so, uh, Dietrich's costumes were designed by Christian Dior and the production featured its original Porter, uh, the, uh, Cole Porter song, the Lizzie's gal. Um, but, uh, her character's unable to finish it after being startled by the Boy Scout, bringing a bloodstained doll to her. Um, we kind of touched upon that. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Dietrich was allowed an unprecedented control of her shots by Hitchcock during the filming. When asked during the filming about working with the famously controlling and technically adept uh, Dietrich, Hitchcock replied, everything's fine. Miss Dietrich has arranged the whole thing. She has told them exactly where to place the lights and how to photograph her. Later, he said of Dietrich, Marlene was a professional star. She was also a professional cameraman, art director, editor, costume designer, Hairdresser, makeup woman, composer, producer, and director. Wow. Even a little snide, uh, you know, back backhanded, you know, things to somebody who obviously he couldn't, you know, he couldn't control her, you know, as a, you know, and if Kitchcock can't control her, I'm surprised he worked with her. You know, I guess he just. Yeah, did he? What? Did he ever do it again? Nope. <laughs> he never did it again, I don't think. I've never heard them Life work together again. Lifeboat. Who is that? Another diva. Oh, um, 
God, I forgot her name. Uh, I know you're talking about. Um, she was uh, she was wonderful in it, just like Marlene was wonderful. Tallulah Bankhead. Exactly, another one, another diva. Yeah, but there you go. You know, it's funny. I'm I'm just gonna say this. There's a lot of divas in the fucking in, uh, indie industry too. So, yeah. you know, it true. happens. They start to believe their own their own press. People, you know, blow smoke up their ass. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to just uh, to to placate their egos a little bit to make them, you know, feel. Well, you know, it's a monster. But yeah, but then it creates a monster, of course. Um, but yeah, it uh, in this world, I mean, it's probably even worse in Hollywood today. You know, with a lot of people, a lot of stars. Well, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, um, you know, I was surprised that. Well, I wasn't surprised, but we never talked about this. Uh, Charlotte had more than just two lovers: her husband and her boyfriend. Jonathan, mm -hmm. she actually had manager Freddie, you know, she was very insincere about her love for any of them. And then the, she left the, her dresser room with a young stud who was nameless. I don't know if you noticed that. I she, did not. The guy on the side, she was at on the stage <clears throat> leaving her dressing room and she left with a young stud right after yeah. confrontation. With well, I mean, she, is a, she was a widow at that time. So whatever. But, uh, you know, she slept around a lot and probably in real life, too. Uh, <laughs> oh, you think Marlene slept, <clears throat> slept around real in real life? I don't know. Uh, do you think like do you think she got picked this part because she is Charlotte? You know, like because the character of Charlotte was very controlling well, I mean, and everything. Just her performance alone. She was a hell of a singer. Yeah. So, yeah, I do. I think she was cold-blooded, self-centered, um, like most of them, but more than most. And uh, don't you, when you cast, don't you look for somebody who's similar to the character you want? Well, I mean, not necessarily, but it doesn't hurt, you know, if, if they are. I, I mean, you know, really, you just look for the best person for the role, right? So if the person happened to be very like the role that they're they're going for, then yeah, of course you you try to find them. But um, you know that's believability though. If they can convey it because they're truly like that, then so much the better. Nobody can see the strings, you know, like oh that guy's just walking through the role. So I would prefer to to find somebody that that's a bitch to play a bitch, you know? right? Yeah. I absolutely agree. Okay, well, um, oh no, my God, there's so much stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, like I said before, we we sort of touched on it. So the doll, they put, uh, they smeared. Well, um, the the uh, father like cut himself in oh, order. Oh. Yeah, I was surprised about that, and I was surprised he showed yeah. that. But he cut himself in order to get blood. To put on the doll's uh, dress or whatever. I'm diabetic and I have a shit fit when I have to prick my fingers and get a little blood. But he cut it wide open. I know. Like, ah! It was so squeamish. I didn't even look. Yeah. It was a good scene. But uh, so anyway, mm -hmm. he ends up doing that. He puts it, the thing and then he asked the Boy Scout guy, kid to go up, you know, basically interrupt. Uh, uh, Charlotte's act in order to show her, just show her the doll, basically, not even give the doll to her or anything. And he shows the doll to her, and she freaks out. And then she, uh, then her, uh, then was his name Freddie? Was that his name? The guy that was with her, that was with Charlotte. Um, he calls for, uh, Nellie or whatever her name is, whatever the, you know, Dottie or whatever. You know, yeah, her name is Doris. Doris, and he calls Doris, and he said, "Doris, come, you know, uh, come here." And she hasn't told the cop that she's that Doris, and that they've been looking for Doris the whole time. Yeah, you know, yeah, especially to her new boyfriend. You know? Yeah, yeah, and he's he sees her go up there, and 
help him, you know, so she knows something. That's when he catches on that, like, okay, there's something going on. Like, why is she, you know. Reluctant. They finally, get up here. What's wrong with you? And then she just kind of, like, hesitantly went up there. But and uh, well, She I, didn't want to because she kept looking at the cop. She kept looking at uh, Ordinary Smith. Yeah. And uh, he was kind of. Remember how angry he was when he found out. Oh, oh man. That was, well. Yeah, I, I actually was a little worried because, I mean, technically, all the stuff that she was doing, she could go to jail for, you know, har- harboring a, a, a fugitive and, you know, kind of um, and not telling the police everything, you know, uh, what? You and her father both. Yeah. And he was uh, the cop is uh, Smith is so nice. You know, he could have he could have literally taken them to jail and said they're going to still get to the bottom of this. But you guys are not not involved anymore, you know, but instead, what do they do? They they ask her to basically try to catch. Well, uh, she came up with that. But she he, came up with that. That's true. Love conquers all. You know, I mean, there's a lot of times where emotion wins the day, like if you catch somebody and they're guilty but you love them you're gonna let them slide mm-hmm. you don't love them, you're gonna they're gonna get it you know so she goes and says i need to talk to you privately to charlotte and charlotte's like i don't know what this is about but all right whatever and goes in with her and she tells her everything when she's got like the mic the uh the microphone on so everybody heard exactly what was going on and she thinks she can catch charlotte in the lie or whatever like catch her and and make her tell the truth and it's and she does you know charlotte tells her everything the truth you know Uh, her guilt she just says i'm an exception which happens to be the truth mm -hmm. but we don't know that we think she's still lying we think she slid out of it i'm like wait a minute she didn't tell the truth yeah. So she's gonna lie until she dies. So she comes out, uh Eve comes out crying after, remember? And her mm-hmm. father's body like Yay! And she cries even more. So she's kind of embarrassed that she had to do that, I guess. But you know, I at the first time I've seen somebody cry when you're applauding them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh sh- she is kind of one of the guys, one of the cops is asked to like basically watch her, you know, and she asks him, like, I guess everybody heard all of that. What does she say? She says, I'm, a, I'm in for it, aren't I? Or something like that. Yeah. Like, wow. I, I'm in for it. And she's like, Yes, you are. And he's like, It was so funny because that guy was like, the whole time was just like, you know, kind of agreeing with her, like, Yeah, you're, you're in trouble, you know, like you. You just admitted to being an accessory to murder, you know. Um, uh, she, which she brings up. Yeah, she's tough though. She asked him to light her cigarette. Uh huh. And she and get her a seat, you know, find her a seat, and everything. Um, so she can sit down. Like even even when she's being arrested, she's still being a diva. <laughs> right. Um. So I thought that was cute. Um. And then, so they bring in the guy. They find Jonathan. They uh, lured him out and stuff by uh, calling him. And then he he left the place that he was at, that he was supposed to be like you know safe at and everything. And the cops found him and arrested him. And I don't know why they brought him to the stage instead of just bringing him to the jail. Yeah, yeah, I uh, there's something I forgot. And why didn't they have him in handcuffs at the time? Like that was that was the sloppiest arrest I've ever seen in a Hitchcock movie. Um, you know, when I started to catch on, even though I couldn't hear it and I didn't have subtitles, they were in the stagecoach or something, right? And yeah, they end up going in the stage, hiding in the stagecoach. He confesses that, like something like, because I didn't understand all of it. I've done this before. I'm like, what? He said, I've right. killed. Yes. And then he can start to clench like he's going to strangle her. 
And then she puts her hands over him and they, you know, to lighten it and to calm him down. And she pushes the hands down. So he doesn't. Okay. So I'll talk about that. So what happens is the other cops, you know, the, the ordinary Smith guy or whatever, he's like, you know, wherever you are, be careful with this guy. He's killed. He's killed somebody before. And uh, this isn't his first time. And uh, and that's when everything shifts. All the tone, uh, his character shifts. Here's, and he agrees. Like, I, yeah, I, he's right. And then you he know. comes up with the idea that, wait a minute, I could kill again. And that would help my insanity plea. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And that's when she puts her hands on his hand and kind of calms him down and says, why don't we just sneak out of here and everything will be fine. We'll, you know, my dad will help us get to the coast and, you know, we'll, we'll be free. Right. And um, so he agrees and he goes and she pushes him over to where basically um, the pit of the stage is, you know, and then slams the door shut and locks it. So he can't come he, back. He actually exits. But she encourages him to go first, you know. Uh, killers go first. And so he goes out and then she slams and screams and then slams. I'm thinking. Well, yeah. Well, also, she yells yeah. out that he's down there, you know, so right. that, right? Do you remember that? Like she, you know, he's banging on the door. She tricks him. That was an elaborate ruse. Mm -hmm. Well, it was good because he was, I mean, he would have, he would have literally tried to kill her because. I, like at that particular time, I I was like thinking to myself, okay, so if he's killed before and it was by accident, right? The first time, the first time he ever killed somebody apparently was an accident, you know. Uh, so that's why he didn't go to like jail for it or whatever. Um, this next time was on purpose. He literally killed the husband so oh. that, right? So he literally killed the husband. So yeah. his third time would seem like insanity. And that's what he was trying to get at was like that. If I, if I killed you this time, I'm insane in order to kill you. And I thought that was, I thought that was a very interesting. Well, he's clearly unstable. I mean, he, mm -hmm. you know, he goes from love to hate in two seconds. Like he, he was his lover. And then, you know, but then he turned on her. He's unstable. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, he's also probably worried that he's going to go to jail, you know, and when he, he's like worried he's going to go to jail, he's going to do whatever he can, because if he's going to be convicted for murder, you know, he might as well kill somebody else is in his brain, you know, like if he's going to go to jail for murder, he might as well go to jail for two murders, three murders, whatever. It doesn't matter because I don't you know, think I could have done that. Uh, well, I don't think I could kill anyone, you know, like at all, you know, I feel bad when my, my dog falls on the ground, you know, dogs, you know, uh, what about that line? You know, she talks to her, you like, uh, she talks to the cop, you know, Charlotte, she says, you like dogs? He says, yeah, I like dogs, but you don't like all dogs, do you? You know, I had a dog once that bit me and I had him killed. Oh God. I was so mad at that line. I was so mad. I was, I wanted yeah. I, I wanted her dead at that particular moment. I, I was like, I, I like, because like, I don't care if a dog bites you, you know, or whatever you go and you bring it to the, the, the hound or whatever and say, I can't take this dog because it doesn't like me. You know, you don't kill it. I, I bite a lot of dogs um, when they bite me first. So no, I'm joking, but uh, right. I had dog once that bit me in the eye uh, and it was, mm. Was, uh, what do you call it? The friendliest dog in the world. Oh, Lassie, Cocker Spaniel. Ah. Dogs, man, you just they're so lovable. But I, I was four years old, I pulled its ears, I was looking at it, it bit me in the eye, almost took my eye out. I didn't. Um, when I was young, I had a situation where a friend of mine's, the, like a neighbor of mine who has who I knew, you know. Uh, told his dog, which was a, um, uh, it wasn't a pit bull or a 
bulldog. It would, but it looked like one of those. I forgot what they're called. Uh, but he he told the dog to sick me, right? And uh-huh. the dog ran at me. Jesus. And I was like, oh god, I'm gonna die. And it ran at me, and it jumped on me, and I started licking my face. That oh, was sick me oh. to to the. Uh, you know, but it still still scared the crap out of me. I did not like that at all. That <laughs> you was know? Hitchcock, wasn't it? That did that to you? No, but it almost feels like it could have been. Yeah. Um. But anyway, uh, I yeah. But she said I I I put a you know I I put that dog down because or killed that dog because it bit me. I was so fucking mad. I was like I like I I didn't like this chick before. You know, that really cemented it. At no. that particular moment. Well, then you weren't sure. Anyway. Hey, look, I've got a, a my my mug says dog person. Dog person, yeah. Yep. So, I I I will, I will fight somebody who says that they're gonna kill a dog. If they try to kill my dog, they're dying. I'm not gonna you kill. Know. What? I am not going to kill your dog. Good, good, good. Don't bite my dog either, because he won't bite. He has no teeth. Breathe on him, but. Uh... Yeah, I I don't have dogs, but I like dogs, but I don't try to touch them either because I've been snapped at and bit a few times. Uh, I remember when you came to the house, our house, uh, when I was still living in L.A., and the dogs there were jumping up at you and, and stuff, and they weren't trying to weren't oh. trying to attack you, but they were just, uh, you know, they were, they were snapping, and uh, they well, needed to go in the other room. Yeah, I, I have to learn how to carry that dry dog food and you know, throw throw some at them and <laughs> get them to go away. Yeah, you know. I, I, they they can tell when you're a little skittish around them. They, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a fear. Um, don't don't feel bad. I I, I think they had a thing about like uh, older people because there was another older person that came that barked all the time at. Uh, they barked all the time at, and I I felt terrible. <laughs> You know, so it happens. You know, I don't know what what they're maybe they were maybe they were uh, abused by an older person. I don't know. Yeah, and you can't ask a dog. You know, so you can't like ask the dog why are you like this? Why are you glaring at me? <laughs> right, like you can't you can't uh, you can't speak to them. They won't they won't give you a a definite answer. Act my way out of that. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, good boy. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, to go back to this movie, so I guess you know, I guess we pretty much covered almost like the whole thing. I mean, there really wasn't. Uh, though I I did read that um Jane Wyman did not like playing the frumpy character, like the, you know, like being oh, able to being the maid. I know it, lady. I'm I'm trying to pretend I'm cocky. Annoying with that lighting. Yeah, she she the whole time she liked she wanted to be like uh, Charlotte. You know, she wanted to be the hot chick the whole time, and so you know she didn't like being un uh, unattractive. You know, on purpose, and that kind of defeats the purpose if you try to make yourself look attractive when you're not. Uh, That wouldn't have worked. She's too cute. You're right. Old and domineering, you know. Uh, Dietrich had that nailed. You know, she was perfect for the role. If you She's... wanted to hate, you know? so you said that uh, Jane Wyman was uh, the the first, uh, w- w- like the first wife of uh, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. That is awesome. For sure, that's what I read. The actor. The actor. <laughs> you don't remember? You don't? Did you ever see Back to the Future? I have, you know, when he's like, "Who's the president in 19, you know, 80, wow. whatever?" And he goes, uh, uh, "It's a uh, Ronald Reagan." He goes, "Ronald Reagan, the actor." He's like, "Who's who's vice president? Jerry Lewis?" You know, it should have been. <laughs> that would have been a great. That would have been a great. That would have been a great combo. Yeah, I would. I'd be down with that. Who was that? I don't even remember who the yeah, vice Ronald president was. was. Fake sincerity, you got it made, and I guess he did. I well, they I... had three children together: Jane Wyman oh, and uh, Ronald Reagan. How did that ever happen? 
I don't know, but they they were married for a while. Yeah, I... before he married Nancy. So, uh, um, yeah, Ronald and uh, Jane had a daughter, Christine, who was born June 26, 1947. Ooh, and lived only nine hours. Oh, well, that sucks. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Um, I'm trying to see the other children. Oh, he has a uh, a son who's a ballerina or something. Or a um, he was a dancer. Okay, so while being under contract at Warner Brothers, she first met Ronald Reagan on the set of Brother Rat in 1938. Wyman was 21 while uh, Reagan was 27. The two had been married from 1940 until the divorce in 1949. They remained on good terms until Reagan's death in the mid-2004. Before his death, she especially voted for him twice uh, in both 1980 and 84 presidential elections in the Republican Party. So that, oh, times have changed, you know? Times have changed. Like the Republican Party, man, did not do well in, um, you know, this kind of, um, you know, thing. Uh, why are you, uh, why, why are you in the waiting room there? No, wait, what? It says, uh, it says, uh, you are entering the waiting room. You've entered the waiting room. Leaning over to do something on my desk. I'm here. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, like your other, I guess your other, uh, the your phone or or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, anyway, don't worry about it. You're here. Everything's good. You don't have a green room. You don't have any snacks or nothing. I know. Sorry, man. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I wish that there, that was the case when people put you in like a virtual waiting room that you'll have like virtual snacks and you'd be like virtually I'm having a good time. <laughs> you know, but uh, sadly, that does not happen. Um, so I guess we can wrap up this uh, episode because it's it's almost the hour mark. And um, uh, I, I do want to say thank you for 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 doing this show continually. Um, I love it. This was a lot of fun. Um, I was I was like, hey, I didn't know anything about this movie going in. And I'm very glad like I went in blind. Not knowing, like I said, I thought it was about uh, a murder on stage or something, you know, like I did not think it had anything to do with a murder that happened outside in the regular world and, you know, all this other stuff going on. I had no um, what? I had no idea. Most of these I've never even heard of. So right. Well, I mean, and that was another reason I think I've talked about this before, but that's another reason why I've chose to do this show with you. Is because when we first, uh, we first met in like uh, when I was out in L.A. and everything, um, we we talked about um, Hitchcock, you know, and you had said you loved what you've seen of his work, but you hadn't really explored, you know, a lot of his stuff. So when we were looking for something for us to do together, that wasn't little stinkers. Sorry, Paul, but you know. Uh, we, I had to choose, uh, I wanted, I was like, oh, well, you know, I, I don't see as much, uh, podcast just on Hitchcock himself, you know, and everything. So let's do a Hick Hitchcock hooked on Hitchcock. And I think it was, um, surprisingly fun, you know, totally. like so far it's been, there's some, there's some that are not that great. You know, I confess was not one of my favorites. Uh, we did the wrong man, right? Like, yeah. uh, I didn't like that one either as much, you know, um, but, uh, but then there's ones like shadow of a doubt and lifeboat and, yeah. you know, um, and this one was surprisingly good, but it, it's, it's not one of my favorites, you know, and I don't think it ever will be, you know, um, but it's it's a surprisingly good one, and I think that if you haven't, if people haven't seen it, they should see it. But if they haven't seen it, and they've been listening to this podcast for an hour, um, we spoil the shit out of this movie. So, 
Well, see it anyway. No see it anyway, because what we said doesn't do it justice. Yeah, you, you gotta see it. Just forget what I said. But it, we've done this is our 16th film that we've uh, covered. So is it? Jesus. Yeah. yeah, we did 10 the first uh season and we're on number six. This wow. is our all right, we've done 16 films so far. And, yeah. you know, each one, like, you know, most of them are ones we've, you know, either you've never seen, I probably see more of them than you have. Um, I, I think I, I know that we've talked about that. So, you know, um, but uh, but then this one was one I never saw. So uh, we're going to watch the, our next one is one I've never seen. Uh, it did get a remake, weirdly enough. Uh, called uh, it's a Mr. and Mrs. Smith is going to be the next one, and it's funny because the remake has nothing to do with the Hitchcock one, but the remake is more Hitchcockian than this than the original movie is. The movie the original movie is a comedy, yeah. you know. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, because I've been I've been kind of dying to see that movie like, you know, finally, and uh. And everything, you see what all the hubbub is about, you know. Maybe wow. it's good, maybe it's not. We'll find out. We'll find out. So, everybody, join us next uh, month, uh, September, for a whole new episode of Hooked on Hitchcock. And thank you all uh, for checking us out. Thank you, Larry. Uh, this has been a great episode, and uh, I hope people get a chance to check this out and uh, let us know what you guys think. You know, if you're, you liked it. What? Good evening, one and all. Good evening. Bye, everybody. Alejandro.